we'll finish with the fourth verse. sounds so good this morning. At this time, I'm going to invite Francis up to share with us our scripture. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord is with you. May God bless the reading of his word. Morning. You all look great, let me tell you. I'm happy to be here. God is good. All the time. You know, a couple months ago, we we came up with with, with the leadership, a a mission statement, and it's really easy to catch, to memorize, to keep it, and and we want to live by that, which is love God, love people, and make disciples. See, God has called us, and he is a God of love. But he's also a God that teaches out to love others. But when we learn to love others, we also share that with, with those around us. And when people see what God can do in their lives, the Holy Spirit works miracles. So this is why we came up with love God, love people, and make disciples. Now, this morning's message is a dear one to me. I, I, I love stories. I love telling them. And I, I, I may use my imaginary mind to kind of give you a little more of a live picture of what the Bible has to say. And, and so as we read, I'm going to imagine that we were there first person view instead of reading it from the Word. So, but before that, I'd like to pray and ask God to guide. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Lord, you are an amazing God, a God who loves us dearly. 
And we thank you, Father, for being who you are and never changing. But Lord, we are going to study your word and sometimes things get in the way. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to keep us on track. You may hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles electronically or, um, you know, in your, uh, as a book, turn to Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want to begin by saying, telling you a little bit about me. For those who do not know me, uh, let me tell you a little more, okay? I've always been a person who likes to be right. And I don't know if I'm the only one here, but I like to be right. And especially when someone acknowledges that you're right, oh, it feels good. But it also, it's hard to admit when I'm wrong. And, you know, this is something that God has been working as, as, a, as a child... I'm beginning to say, you know what, give, give due when it's due. When, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And, and, and you know, it's interesting because I, I, I've been married now. This, this month will be six months, all right? And I'm loving it. Thank you. And, and people always told me wise words from, from those who have experienced it. And they said, hey, Marco, just remember this. When you get married, you're always going to be wrong. And I'm like, never, <laughs> never. And as I learn, and, and, and as I learn, as I, we, we, you know, we talk and things, and, and she reminds me, and I'm like, no, no. And then after a while, I, I, I listen to her. I learn to listen to her, and I'm like, you know what, honey, you're right. So let me tell you, for, those, for, those, uh, for, the, for the wives that are here, if your husband hasn't told you, you're right. But it's hard to admit it. And there, in, in the Bible, we see a character like this. First, second, second Chronicles chapter 20. Now, if your husband, by the way, says, no, you're still wrong, let him talk to me, okay? We'll, we'll figure it out. But Second Chronicles chapter 20, we, we, we see a king, okay? And it seems like he also has this problem because, you, you know, it's interesting because he's seen his father done the right things. In the eyes of the Lord, he's seen that he shouldn't mix with other people, with other surrounding kingdoms. And he sees how God has blessed him. But now his dad passes away, he becomes king, Jehoshaphat. And he does what he thinks is right. He makes choices. He partners up with this king of Israel. It turns south. The prophet comes to King Jehoshaphat and says, you should not have done that. You should have trusted the Lord. You should have gone with what you knew was right and now repent. He had to admit, he had to humble himself and say, you know what? I was wrong. He learned from his mistakes. And how many of us here have made wrong decisions? I know I've been, right? Is it... And how many of us have had the experience that God has taken you to a road that, that you're always fighting him and saying, you know what, Lord, let me do it my way. And let me do it my way. And God says, you know what, I will let you do it your way. And at the end, it kind of feels like, Lord, I should have listened to you. Am I the only one that has experienced that? I, I, I believe I'm talking to my brothers and sisters who are like, like I, right? 
And, and, and it's interesting because we do it over and over and over again. But I praise God because he's always patient. He's always there waiting. And I can picture him saying, are you ready to let it go and give it to me? Time after time. And there's this king who has that same problem. But this time, circumstances, situation put him at the edge where he has no options left. So we pick up the story here. Let's look at what's happening in his life. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it reads, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now he's doing everything that God has called him to do, and things are going the wrong way. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at, in Hezron, which was Tamar, that is in Gedi, which actually was at the borders of his territory. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast for all Judah. Now, other versions would say, and Jehoshaphat feared. Let me tell you something. Fear is real. But fear has two components that I've, I've noticed. It has a... a, a a response of submission or a response to fight back that which is against you. Okay? So what, what your action will be that will determine your victory. Let me say that again. Whatever decision you make when you are in fear, whatever action you make will determine your victory. Because there's two options you can do. You can fight it with your own strength or you could give it to the Lord. Jehoshaphat had been fighting it by himself, and every time it went south. But this time, God has given him the opportunity once again to try again and see what God can do in the life of that person who can trust, surrender to Jesus. So Jehoshaphat comes, he fears, and this time is different. He doesn't go to asking for help. He doesn't go asking for his, neighbor, his brothers, the Israelites. He doesn't go and ask the Syrians, which he had done in the past. He goes to who? To God. But he does something. Alarm, verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire who? Of the Lord. And let me tell you this morning that your fear may be real. Your past may be real. Your addictions in which you're struggling are real. Your depression, it is real. Your, your negativity, your loneliness, your anxiety, all of those things God sees and he knows they are real. But I don't know what it is, but I can tell you that there are three, over 3,000 promises in Scripture so you can trust God. Amen. Over 3,000. 
See, but faith, how does it look? We're, we're talking about fear, and, 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 and we're going to see what Je- Jehoshaphat does. So he does what? He prays, he inquires, in verse 4, the people of Judah that together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. The first thing we learn and that I learn in this story is when you need help, seek the Lord, but also ask for help. Because there is power and working together. There is power when the people of God come together and pray together. There's power. I believe it with my whole heart. King Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. He got all the Judah all Judah together. Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood up and the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front in front of the new courtyard and said and look what he says, and we're going to take, we're going to break it down, and this is what he is saying to his people. Lord, this is his prayer. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of, of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before his temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Verse 10, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you should not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but what? Our eyes are upon you. What is Jehoshaphat saying? I I, want to get here because sometimes I feel like I'm above you and I'm not. King Jehoshaphat is telling, is praying to God. And he's, if you look at how he's praying, he is claiming, Lord, you are the one who brought us here. You are the one to, to tell us not to destroy this people. And now those people that you told us not to destroy are coming to us. And what are people around us are going to say? That you are not the God who you say you are? First lesson, second lesson that I learned here. With God, and I'm reminded in Hebrews, which it says, come boldly to the throne of God. Which means we can take those promises that God has offered to us that are at our disposals. And no matter what is coming our way or whatever trouble, circumstance, situation that is bigger than who we are, we can claim, God, this is what you have said. And because you have said it, do something about it. Now that is hard. Because oftentimes we're wrapped around fear, we're wrapped around their circumstance, we're wrapped around what is taking place in our lives, and we forget that there is someone next to us. I love what Jehoshaphat says, for we do not know what to do. Have you ever felt that? 
where you reach a point in your life and you do not know what to do. And you say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've told, I've told this story before. And I rem- when I was in college, I was struggling economically. I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. You've called me here. And here I am. What are you going to do? And let me tell you, those were hard times in my life. I had done my part. I had worked over the summer. I had done everything possible, yet I was short in money. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? But you see, he said something. But my eyes will be but kept on who? On him. You know, it's interesting. Because many times God is working on our behalfs, and I've learned this. We look at the problems and we miss the blessing that he has for us because we are not focused on him. And that's another thing. If our eyes are somewhere else, when God works for us, we're not going to notice. Because our eyes are on the problem and not on the solution. So Jehoshaphat understood this from his past experience. And I don't know what your past experience has been as a Christian or maybe you're starting to walk with God. And let me tell you, if you do not keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus, he's going to work on your behalf and you're going to be saying, Lord, where are you when he's already working, but you're missing the point because your eyes are somewhere else and not on Jesus. Jehoshaphat had learned Because he had focus elsewhere, but this time he is telling others to pray. He is praying himself. He's claiming the promises, and now he's looking focused on Jesus. He says, I don't know, Lord, how you're going to do this, but my eyes will be kept on you. And so he goes on, and look at the story, how how it, it, it progresses. He says, verse 13, All the men of Judah with their wives and children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. Verse 14, then the Spirit of the Lord came and came on Haziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, Benaniah, sorry, the son of Heel, the son of Metaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord has to say to you. What does he say? Do not be afraid, or what? Because of his vast army. He keeps going, for the battle is yours? Because the battle is what? Not yours. But whose? But God's. Brothers and sisters, when loneliness creeps in in your life, when you're stuck in the road, when you're pushed to the edge, when depression comes into your mind and then the negativity and the problems in the family, the health that comes your way, the Lord is trying to tell you, do whatever you can, but when you have no control, that's when my battle begins for you. Where is your battle? Because this battle is not yours. The Christian life is, is, is about trust. It's also, also doing our part, of course. But when we cannot do no longer, that is when God says, claim to my promises. Because I've promised that that battle is not yours. It is mine, says the Lord. So what are you struggling this, 
this morning? What has been something that has kept you from coming to the Lord and surrendering all to him? I'm here to tell you that God wants to tell you this morning that the battle you've been facing for years, days, whatever length it has been, it's not yours. It is God's battle. Jehoshaphat was encouraged. And look what he said in verse, and let's, let's take it up in verse 17. You will not have to what? Fight. Verse 17, you will not have to fight what? In this, battle. this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will do what? Be with you. Now, in those days, there was an army preparing to fight, right? The, the prophet who is speaking on behalf of God is telling the king and his people, listen, you don't have to fight this battle, but take your position. Stand firm. They had to actually do something, right? They had to do what God was telling them to do. So they gathered and they actually positioned themselves. And picture this. I mean, pretend you're in a valley and usually because usually wars were fought in valleys. So you can see what's happening. The Israelites, uh, sorry, Judah and his kingdom takes position. God says, stand firm and wait for your deliverance. Now, the army is supposed to come against you. And, and who would want to just stand there? When, when there are swords and javelins being thrown at you and things like that, who would want to stand there? Not I. But God is saying, stand firm and you will see the deliverance. My brothers and sisters, faith, as Jesus says, can move mountains. But it's what you do with fear that will determine your victory. They could have ran away but they stood firm. How do we stand firm today in our world, in our 21st century? We don't have to gather as an army. You know how? There's a saying, and I'm pretty sure many of you have heard it. You are at your highest when you're what? On your lowest, but I'm referring to when you're on your knees. See, the battle of the Christian is not fought with words, with, with fighting with someone physically, it's on our knees. We all have struggles. My wife and I, we, we have things that we worry about. But it's what we will do with that worry what will determine our victory. Is our victory won on our knees? Or is our victory won by us trying to help the situation when God has said, I have to fight this battle, not you. You've done enough. It is time for me to fight it for you. Stand your ground and you will see the deliverance. But you see, many times, as I said before, we miss the victory because we're looking somewhere else and we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus. The story keeps going and it says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kehothites and Kohorath stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, there's another lesson we've learned through this lesson. 
that what God, the deliverance that God had in store for them. You know, and it's, it's, it's have, you ever, have you ever heard this phrase, um, which is, I need to see it to believe it? There's actually, in Spanish, there's a, there, there's a show called See It to Believe It. It is hard for us to believe something unless what? Unless we see it. And here, King Jehoshaphat practices what true faith is. His victory had not been yet given to him. He goes and God promises him, I'm going to fight this battle for you. You just stand your ground. What does King Jehoshaphat, that? does he wait for the victory to be given to him? What does he do? What does the Bible tell us? He bowed the head and he started to do what? To praise the Lord before the victory was given to him. Another big lesson from this story. Your battle, your, your situation, your worry, your fear, your things that you're struggling, maybe in your marriage, will not be given a victory unless you believe it with all your heart. Spirit of prophecy says that we must get on our knees and we must pray and ask. And once we get up, we must believe as if though God has already answered even before it has been given. That is the faith that Jehoshaphat preached, that he sought, that he believed, and he acted upon. It was after that, and look what, is, what happens. Because of that, he praised the Lord. In verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were what? They were what? Were they defeated by them fighting against them? What were they doing? They were praising. They had stood and they waited for their deliverance. They sung praises. Can you, can you imagine the scene? There's, army, there's an army coming against you. You're standing there and, and, and all, you're the, the army that's coming against you is like, what are they singing? Why are they singing? And one by one, they were being taken out. Because God had promised that this is whose battle? His battle. It was God's battle. And verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes about, against the men at Naaman and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men went from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert and looked towards a vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. No one. They saw people destroyed. They saw their enemies, their arch enemies, the ones that tried to invade their city. Brothers and sisters, friends, 
that are here this morning. When God promises, when God says, He will do it in His time. What is your worry? What is it that you have been struggling with and is keeping you awake at night? It could be money. It could be family. It could be children, those that are not coming to church. What is your worry? Is it health? Is it a friendship that you've lost so dearly because of miscommunication? What what it is your worry this morning? What is the battle you're facing? What is it that is making you fearful? We could, I can sit here and name all the things that cause people to have depression, anxiety. The list could go on. What is it? This morning, God wants to remind you, reminds to remind me that you can do everything you can do at your hands. But when you can't no longer, God wants to step into your life and say, this is my battle. I will give you the victory. But you must, you must stand firm and fight and wait for your deliverance. So this week, as you look forward and as that temptation comes, as that thought, negative thought comes, that struggle comes your way, remember that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we fight our battles on our knees. On our knees. Because it's when we are on our knees that we are at our highest point. And that's when God will take over when we fully surrender to Him. Where are you at this moment in your life? Have you struggled to surrender, to give it to the Lord? Have you let your worries become a normal thing in a daily life? God is here to tell you this morning, give it to me. Surrender it all to me. Because I want to show you what I have in store for you. I want to deliver you from those things that have kept you from coming to me. Where are you? Where are you this morning? Do you want to trust God? Do you want to say, Lord, maybe I haven't haven't trusted you all 100%, but this is the time I want to make that commitment to trust you more. So that way, when things come our way, my way, I can fight it on my knees and you can deliver me from all my fears, from all my troubles. Where are you? If that's, who you, if that's what you want to do this morning, please stand. I'm the first one here. You know, I'm, they came to a, there, came a, there came a point where I had to make decisions, and I mean, always. But God will take us or allow things to happen so we can realize that we should trust less of ourselves and more on Him. And there comes a point in our lives where you said, Lord, I'm tired of doing it my way. Let me do it your way. Because every time I do it my way, it always goes south. But every time I try to do it your way, There's always a blessing. There's always love. There's always grace. And I want that. So my calling for you this morning, wherever you are at at this time in your walk with Jesus, 
Whatever your struggle is, let's learn from King Jehoshaphat. Was he fearful? Yes. But he learned from his past mistakes. He allowed God to work in his heart. Surrender to him today and allow him to take over so that way you and I can see what God has for us when he delivers. And let me tell you, he will deliver. He will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, you are good to us, Lord. You're faithful when we're not. And Father, there are times when we lack trust. There are times when we worry too much. But Father, I pray this morning, this afternoon, that when we worry, when we have fears, when things come our way, that those things create in us a reaction to seek you even more. That we no longer try to seek and solve our issues by ourselves, but we give them to you. Each of us struggle differently. But Father, you know and you're aware that those things we struggle with are real. And so Father, we pray as King Jehoshaphat did once. We claim your promises. We claim victory. But we also want our eyes to be focused on you. So whatever the situation is, Lord, show us your deliverance because your love endures forever. We want to sing praises. We want to sing with our cheerful heart. So help us live a life of faith that you want us to live. Be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Together we're going to sing 612.